I'm wearing this mask to not only protect myself, but to shield everyone else from the horror that I endured. Babylon. Babylon. Let's get to Babylon. It's all about some wrestling. Babylon. Babylon. Let's get to Babylon. It's all about some wrestling. Salutations, Marks. It's your boy, Bobby, that bearded kid, a.k.a. Young Facial Hair, a.k.a. Chris Jericho's receding hairline, and welcome to another installment of Babble Mania, the podcast where we ramble about professional wrestling. I'm not going to keep you waiting. It's almost WrestleMania season. Let's ring the bell and get into it. Let's get hairy. My, 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 friends, you know how it goes. When the bell makes a sound, we hit the ground running. It's time to run down raw. The show opens up with a dark, menacing promo from Randy Orton, who talks about fighting fire with fire, shouts out to my last episode, <laughs> leaving you with ash and how the voices in his head are louder than they've ever been before. He says that he was on the right path until she, Alexa Bliss, interrupted, and that he's angry that he showed her compassion because this is what he has suffered. And when he says this, he's referring to his face that has suffered first-degree burns from the Kamehameha wave that Alexa Bliss hit him with last week. He then acknowledges the mask that he is wearing and says that he's wearing it to protect himself, but also to shield everyone from the horror that he endured. This entire promo, there's no lights on, and all you can see is Randy illuminated by just a little bit of soft lighting, like some amber light. And he's got this strange white he looks like a like a villain from Watchmen and all you can see is his eyes his nose and his bottom lip and his nose looks swollen and red they did a really really good job on this look I saw a lot of people online making fun of the mask but I actually really liked it I thought it was interesting and quirky and it was a little bit ridiculous but you know it was over the top and it was dramatic and it really added to the aesthetic of this promo. Um, despite all of this, he does not blame Alexa. Instead, he blames The Fiend and states that The Fiend wants to stop him from achieving the inevitable. He then announces that he is still going to be in the Royal Rumble because the pain is fueling his every move. And he lights a single match and then blows it out. I fucking loved every single bit of this. Bray has really brought out the best of Randy, and in my opinion, he is really at the top of his career. I think this is probably my second to third favorite version of Randy that we've seen and in a long time. The last time I was really interested in Randy was way back in the day when we were first introduced to the Legend Killer. Since then, he's just kind of floated throughout the company, and from time to time, he's kind of touched on, like, this darker side, but this is really, really good. He's really done a fantastic job of, like, really blending into this storyline and becoming one with it, and it's incredible. Um, I loved the mask. I loved the lighting. The promo he cut was absolutely incredible. Everything... <clears throat> Excuse me. Oh, my goodness. I don't know what happened. Everything about this was phenomenal. This is the best storyline in WWE at the moment, hands down. And I, I, I know that the Roman Reigns stuff is really, really good, but there is something dark 
sinister and almost like otherworldly about this Randy Orton Bray Wyatt storyline and it's just it's the best it's it's incredible it's it's like the only reason I I want to tune in to Monday Night Raw um with that being said we move on to our first match of the evening and it's Charlotte Flair versus Peyton Royce beforehand Lacey Evans is making her way through the arena with Ric Flair and in an interview she states that she's simply just learning from the best to ever set foot in the ring. It's nice to see Rick in the swing of things, uh, the dirtiest player in the game, purposely causing his own daughter to lose a match. It cannot get dirtier than that. It's just kind of nice to see Ric Flair like back in something. Uh, we get to the match. Charlotte is fired up due to Peyton's attack on her as she was coming to the ring. They go back and forth with Charlotte consistently getting the upper hand, but... During a pinfall attempt, the Nature Boy's music hits once again, and for the second week in a row, Charlotte is baffled. It gets more insulting, however, as Rick brings out Lacey Evans, who is wearing Rick's robe and just strutting her stuff. This causes Charlotte to become even more fired up, and she takes it to Peyton Royce, but she is distracted. Even though Lacey and Rick are no longer out there, she still remains distracted by the two of them. However... Despite this distraction, she puts Royce away with the figure eight. Uh, now, at first I was kind of baffled by this storyline, but I'm really kind of here for it because I feel like this is going to end in some crazy emotional way. I see this ending in Lacey Evans hurting Rick. You know, like one day he's going to be like walking down the hallway and he's going to like come up on a door and he's not, you know, Lacey's going to be in the room, and she's going to be talking to somebody, and she's not going to know that Rick is there, and she's going to go on to talk about how she's just using Rick, and you know how he's like a pathetic old man, and she just wants to make him feel young, and she's going to throw pity at him, and it's it's going to hurt Rick's feelings, and then something big's going to happen, and maybe Charlotte's going to come out on top, and this will all be in the history books. That's what I think is going to happen. I At least that's what I would like to see happen. I think this would be really interesting and investing if we got that strong emotional, you know, moment from Ric Flair where he's just kind of bummed about everything. But who knows where it's going to go. With all that being said, we're going to move on to some more action, and this time it is Xavier Woods versus Mace. Beforehand, we see Ali earlier in the day talking directly to Kofi, who's apparently home with a broken jaw. He says that he wants to break Kofi's heart by constantly beating down Woods. And he hopes that Kofi Kingston misses the Royal Rumble, Elimination Chamber, and WrestleMania because that's what he has had to do for years. Very good stuff right there from Ali. I liked it a lot. It was really nice heel work that I was a pretty big fan of. After... uh. This, we go into the match, and Woods is really showing the spirit of a fighter. However, after he kicks Ali through the legs of Mace, Retribution uses their presence to distract Xavier, and Mace ends up putting him away. I'm glad to see Retribution getting wins, but my question is, can this really go anywhere? I mean... I kind of see the the same thing that we've seen for a few weeks. And it's 
it's them like failing in the end. Because I, I like since the new day has split up, they ha- they've had like a really tough time. But can you after everything that's happened with retribution, can you have them fully go over the new day? No, you can't because that's going to be bad news bears for the new day. They'll forever be known as the team that was, you know, beat up by retribution. Uh, even without Biggie, even even if Biggie is not in the equation and it's literally just Kofi and Xavier, they are still so good that I cannot see them falling victim in the long run to retribution. It's just something has to happen. Like, and it's it sucks because they're in a bad spot because I can't see them coming out on top. But I cannot see the other side as well because if New Day comes out on top once again it is just something happening that discredits their forced badassery that we're supposed to believe in it's just a lose-lose so I don't know I, I, I can't believe I had such high hopes for retribution and now here we are and I just think it's like one of the worst things in WWE right now but whatever we move on to a huge announcement and it is the three locations, the next three locations of the upcoming WrestleManias throughout the years. Uh, this whole little segment was just a commercial for WrestleMania. Um, it's It basically told us next year's WrestleMania is going to be uh, in, well, this year's WrestleMania is going to be in Florida, I think, if I remember correctly. I can't believe I've already forgotten. Uh, next year's WrestleMania will be in Texas, and then the the WrestleMania after that will be in uh, Hollywood, I guess. So, I don't know. Really fun. The whole thing was just fantastic. We had Triple H in a wig. We had Stephanie, like, <laughs> being flirty towards her colleague. We had Roman Reigns being an ass in a really nice suit. Sasha Banks with a southern accent. And my favorite thing, Hugh Can't See Me. Uh, which was John Cena. It was all hilarious and incredible. Um, Triple H in a wig is a sight that I didn't know I needed to see, but now that I've seen it, I'm glad that I did. Moving on to Alexa's Playground. And Alexa's guest is Asuka, who she will be facing later on in the evening. Asuka is spooked the entire time, rightfully so. And Alexa just kind of spends the segment talking to someone who's not there. She actually talks to the, the the thing that's not there more than she talks to Asuka. And all of this kind of starts to go downhill. Uh, and I, I don't mean downhill as in it was bad. I mean downhill for Asuka, I guess. Um, with Asuka going to sit on the swing set with Alexa, but Alexa stops her and tells her not to sit there because it's not her seat. It reaches a climax when Asuka is trying to calm Alexa down, and she tells... Alexa that it's fine and that the fiend is here and that's when Alexa snaps and tells her not to say his name and then the rocking horse starts to move back and forth by itself which causes Asuka to run out of the ring Alexa to smile get up walk over to the horse and just sit on it joyously I am drooling over a fiend return and I am so glad that they have not given it to us yet I cannot wait for the royal rumble um Oh my gosh, it's it's going to be so freaking good. Um, the Fiend's going to come out. 
and I really, really hope that my prediction for the Royal Rumble and Bray Wyatt is is going to happen. We'll talk about that next week, uh, because next week I will be doing the the uh, the Royal Rumble 2020 predictions and discussion and all that jazz. But f- like, it's going to be so freaking sick. It it feels like it's been a lifetime and it hasn't. Um, the buildup is just in- insane. The return's going to be jaw dropping. I just hope it lives up to the expectations that I've created for it. Uh, but regardless. Back to some in-ring action, and it's Mandy Rose versus Shayna Baszler. Uh, Nia Jax is on commentary, kind of backhandedly furthering the tension that's been building between her and Baszler since they lost their titles. Uh, Baszler is also furthering this by beating Mandy without the help of her partner, and afterwards, uh, she gets into an argument with her. Uh, Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler are on the outside of the ring, just going back and forth, arguing, and then Dana ends up kicking Nia Jax in the back, which pushes her into Shayna Baszler, which knocks her into the ring post, and the both of them drop. Uh, This falling out is getting better and better, but I really hope it stays this way. I want to see them gradually crumble and then not be a team anymore. I don't want this mumbo-jumbo where we think that they're going to bring this to an end, and they don't, and they end up getting stronger. Because, as I've stated before, Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax... Although, on paper, seems like it would be a good idea, it's not. Because Shayna is so good that I notice every single time Nia Jax is bad. And that's not a good thing. So I think they need to dissipate. And as I've stated before on this podcast, I think Nia Jax needs to go away for a while and learn to get better. Sorry, not sorry. Next up, we have Ricochet. Going up against AJ Styles, uh, Ricochet is hell-bent on proving to everyone that he deserves to be in the Rumble, while AJ wants to crush his dreams and embarrass him. The back and forth in this match was a little sloppy in the beginning, but it really, really picked up. We got some crazy athleticism, mainly from Ricochet, really fun sequences, no surprise there. Look at the two people that are in the ring. Typical stuff from Ricochet. AJ was being the aggressive, healy, technical wrestler that's just savvy. This match really, really shined, and so did their chemistry. Uh, it all came to an end with this absolutely insane Styles clash. Essentially, AJ counters something that Ricochet is going for, and he ends up picking him up into a vertical suplex. And then he throws Ricochet belly first onto the top rope, and Ricochet bounces off of it. And AJ catches him in the Styles Clash setup and just drops him on his stomach. Holy moly, it was insane. This was a super fun match. I wish it was not a little sloppy in the beginning because it would have been so much better. But just the way it ended was absolutely phenomenal. If you haven't seen this match, just go look for the end of it because it was a sight to see. Um, It really bums me out that Ricochet isn't going to be in the Rumble. I mean... Ricochet is just so good, you know, and it's and I'm not going to be one of those people that's like he needs to quit and go to another company. I'm not going to say that, but I do think that his time will come eventually. I just hate that it's not now. Ricochet is one of those people that sets foot in the ring and I'm just blown away by everything that he does. He's so clean and crisp. And you know, I get it. He he doesn't really cut good promos and he's kind of lacking in the charisma department. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. 
But I just can't wait for a day when Ricochet actually finds himself. And I really hope he does. I hope that someday he does. Um, AJ is just, you know, at the at the top right now on on Raw as far as like singles competitors goes. He's he's killing it out there. Um, well, I guess mid card is what I would call AJ right now. That feels weird to say, but I don't know. I think he's going to do big things at the Rumble. But we'll we'll save that for next week. Uh, on to our next segment, and it's the dirt sheet. Miz and Morrison grace the ring and hype up their guest Goldberg. Uh, they have been talking about it pretty much all night, and I was like, holy shit, they got Goldberg to be on the dirt sheet. That's insane. Uh, Goldberg's music hits, and what a swerve this was as Gilberg makes his way to the ring. Yes, the Goldberg impersonator, the old man, the myth, the legend himself, Gilberg, comes down to the ring doing his shtick, you know, getting burned by sparklers. It was crazy it was phenomenal <laughs> uh he gets in the ring and you know Miz and Morrison they're going along with it because this was their plan uh they're they're going along with it and then Drew McIntyre's music hits and I was like oh gosh this isn't good for Gilberg however another swerve is upon us and we get some chubby guy dressed up as Drew McIntyre now this guy is famous all right this guy was actually the head elf from the Santa Claus. He was also in the Adams Family. He played the boy that uh, Wednesday kind of had a crush on. They like kissed through the fence and all that nonsense. It's that kid. Uh, really weird seeing him in this setting. He was wearing a kilt that wasn't pulled up high enough, and you know he was showing off his chubby body, and he had his shitty little wig on. It was ridiculous. Um, he he gets to the ring. He confronts Gilberg, uh, and in the middle of it, Morrison kind of calls it off because his accent was so bad, and this kind of causes them to get into an argument. And at one point, out of frustration, Miz and Morrison just kind of cut it and get serious. They just say, screw this, we're just going to get serious, and we're just going to end this the way that we planned to the entire time. Miz claims that both Goldberg and Drew McIntyre are going to lose at the Royal Rumble. Drew McIntyre is going to beat Goldberg, but then The Miz is going to cash in and beat Drew McIntyre. And he's going to become the new WWE champion. And he closes the segment by saying that he is next. This was all absurd and painfully pleasant. Um, it's weird talking so much shit about The Miz. <laughs> and just saying over and over again that I hate this character. I hate this silly shit. I don't want this silly shit. I like it when The Miz is angry and just there's no nothing funny about him at all. And then he, he pulls this out of his pocket. And for some reason, I was like, I just couldn't take my eyes off the television. It was like a train wreck. It was like watching a train wreck. And I just couldn't look away. Um, I also see a little bit of foreshadowing in Miz's he's next statement. Uh, I'm pretty sure next week because next week is the go-home episode of Monday Night Raw. I am most positive that next week we're going to see him eat a spear from Goldberg. I would, I would, he said it. He said that he's next. I don't know. Maybe I'm overthinking it, but it would be a kind of a good way to get people hyped up for the Royal Rumble, I suppose. Uh, finally, we move back to some action, and it's the Hurt Business versus Lucha House Party and Riddle. Uh, Lucha House Party is riding high, after their win last week, uh, Riddle 
is really wanting to get revenge on Lashley, who stepped on his toe earlier. And I use the phrase, stepped on his toe very, very loosely. It was the stomp heard around the world. If you don't know what I'm talking about, just go look it up. Uh, the Hurt Business, on the other hand, is wanting to hurt them. And tr they're trying to convey that they are on the same page. However, they are failing at this, as the tension between Cedric Alexander and Shelton Benjamin rises. Uh, this causes the faces to take advantage at every altercation that happens between Cedric and Shelton, but it gets to a point where the two of them are almost doing things to purposely disrespect each other. There's false tags, there's surprise tags, it's ridiculous. MVP is fuming on the outside of the ring, and the match ends with Bobby Lashley, who was fusing on the, uh, fuming on the apron, who ends up tagging himself in and just ending the match almost to, to just get it over with because he's sick of the antics. Uh, the, seg <clears throat> the segment comes to an end with Riddle getting a cheap shot in on Lashley. Um, I'm loving this because weeks ago I stated that this was going to happen. Cedric was going to get some type of big ego, some big brain, and just kind of not so much turn his back on the Hurt Business, but start acting cocky and letting the power get to his head. And that's what they're giving us, and they're doing it in a very, very good way, and I'm really, really enjoying it. Um, this is going to be great for the Hurt Business, in my opinion. I would love to see them get through this and then come out on the other side almost even more like unbearable just super heels it would be really really great uh real quickly mcintyre chimes in and states that at the rumble he's going to destroy goldberg in two minutes or less if goldberg does not come prepared uh he also states that next week he will be back so hip hip hooray it seems that he's doing all right which is really good um I'm excited. Uh, I don't really want to see him and Goldberg face... If I see him and Goldberg face off again, I want to see... I guess, given the way that things work in wrestling usually, I guess I wouldn't mind seeing Goldberg kind of standing tall at the end of next week's episode. Or in the middle. Um, just based on the fact that I, I need Drew to win <laughs> at the Rumble, 100%. And if Drew kind of closes their go-home episode... Uh, program segment standing on top it's going to make me believe that Goldberg's going to be standing on top of the show so I don't know I'm just excited to see him back I'm glad he's doing well uh, next up on the card we have Jeff Hardy versus Jackson Riker uh, this was a pretty regular match with an almost too quick ending however as Hardy is going up top to end the match with a swanton bomb Elias interferes uh, kind of like stopping him, and that gets Riker disqualified. Uh, we then have the same argument as last week, but in a different light. Elias, before the match had even started, agreed to not help Jackson, uh, but what he really meant was that he was not, wink, 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 going to help Jackson. Um, just another big misunderstanding. Hardy ends up attacking Elias during their exchange, uh, but he's taken out by Riker. This wasn't anything too notable. Um, I like that they kind of did this again, but it wasn't as exciting for me for some reason. I guess this is going to end in Elias versus Jackson. I don't know. 
It's really weird. <laughs> I, I, I honestly have no idea what to say about it. I mean, I don't know, man. I, I like Elias a lot. I've been a fan of Elias since he was in NXT. I just saw something really great in him. And I like most of the stuff that he's done on the main roster, but like this Jackson Riker thing is almost, I, I don't want them to continuously repeat this. You know, like them misunderstanding each other or being too dumb to be able to convey that they want to cheat. I I don't want this to be like the common thing that they do. I need it to boil over at some point, and I need, I need to see them get into it. And it's so tame, you know, it's such such a low mark on the totem pole that, like, it doesn't need two months to get there. Like, just give it to us before the Rumble, please, and thank you. With that being said, we move on to our main event, and it's Asuka versus Alexa Bliss. Asuka seems to be back to normal after her fearful run uh, earlier with Alexa Bliss, but Alexa is still in her playful mood. Despite that playful mood, Asuka brings it to Alexa, pushing through Alexa's smiles and laughs, just really taking it to uh, Alexa Bliss. After a few moments of this, Alexa kind of finds herself in the ring by herself, and that is when the lights start to go out. A new sound rumbles throughout the Thunderdome. I guess it's Alexa's sound for when she transforms. Uh, and when the lights come back on, she is transformed into a darker form of her playful self. Uh, black lipstick. No more pigtails. She's got the space buns. Uh, she's wearing like a black dress with a black apron or uh, overalls. It's all like it's like the nega version of you might get Scott Pilgrim versus the world when he has to face nega Scott. Like this was like the nega version of Alexa Bliss. Um, and I was there for it, 100%. From here on out, she is completely different. She's slow, she's defensive, she has her hands behind her back, she's dodging Asuka's strike attempts, whether it be fists or kicks. She's just in a different world. After she takes a knee to the face, Alexa kind of finds herself in the corner, and that's when she gets underneath Asuka's skin by doing... Bray's famous let me hang in the corner and freak out my opponents bit. Um, at this point, she goes for the mandible claw. Asuka fights back, getting in some vicious strikes, but she ends up finding herself in Sister Abigail. Alexa Bliss wipes the black lipstick kind of like down her chin and then just feeds Asuka Sister Abigail and pins her for a three count. And Alexa Bliss has officially pinned the Raw Women's champion and one half of the women's tag team champions Alexa stands up she's kind of like taunting in the ring smirking smiling looking menacing and then the screen flashes once again and she flashes back to playful bliss really really proper editing right here from WWE it was almost seamless she just right back into pigtail wearing purple dress with the overalls and the white shoes and you know like no black lipstick just happy go lucky Alexa Bliss and then she kind of does like a curtsy and then she looks at the camera her face changes to a little bit more of an intense look and she says let me in but it's Bray's voice kind of booming over the speakers and that's how the show goes off the air 
absolutely incredible. Once again, best thing in the WWE right now, hands down. We are seeing, just as we see Hurt and Heel come to life in The Fiend and Bray Wyatt, we are seeing play and pain come to life in the form of Alexa Bliss. It's just, it's phenomenal. They're mirroring each other. Because you have, you have Firefly Funhouse Bray, who I believe is there to heal himself of what dastardly things happened to him in the past. But then you have the fiend, who's that irrational thing in your body that wants you to go crazy. He's this malignant, physical manif- manifestation of pain. And that's why one glove says hurt and the other one says heal. And that is exactly what we're getting with Alexa Bliss. We have the Alexa Bliss who's happy-go-lucky, playful all the time. She's been taken over, I guess brainwashed is, is a way to put it, by Firefly Funhouse Bray. And she just wants to play all the time. She doesn't want to take anything serious because if she starts to take things serious, maybe she'll start to realize what she's doing and then she'll snap out of it, which is not what Bray wants, more than likely. But then you have Payne, who's... That exact same thing, but instead of brainwashed by Bray, she's possessed by the Fiend. The malignant, you know, pain-seeking monster. And it's it's fucking awesome. And I'm here for it. And I don't think I ever want it to end. <laughs> I want it to go on for as long as they can possibly put this on. This was an extremely solid episode, once again, of Monday Night Raw. The lows were not so low, but the highs were really, really high. On the beard scale, this episode of Raw gets a beard that enjoys the pain. Please keep giving it to me. And as always, my friends, with the end of the red, we move on to the blue. Yes, this is the lowdown on SmackDown. Our show this evening kicks off with Roman Reigns, as always, led to the ring by Paul Heyman. He is handed a microphone and goes on to say that Kevin Owens will not be delivering a statement this week because we're not going to see Kevin Owens. He says that him and his counsel were not duped because he's not a loser, and that way of thinking is beneath him. He starts pulling the old, my back hurts, catchphrase, saying that it hurts from carrying the entire WWE for years, This basically culminated from him making fun of Pierce for talking about his knee hurting. Pretty much saying that that's why Pierce isn't anything special. Because he never did anything. He's got these fake injuries and he's, you know, saying, oh, I can't do this and I can't do that because my knee hurts. But Roman is over here fighting through all the pain that he's been through in his career and still showing up and getting the job done. This is kind of what makes him say, well, my back hurts from carrying this company for years. At this point, he's interrupted by Adam Pearce, who comes down to the ring saying over and over again that this whole situation has spiraled out of control. Uh, Roman responds by attacking Pearce's complaining, saying that it's not justified. But Pearce goes after Heyman, telling him that he'll take it from Roman, but he won't take it from him. This is when... Heyman grabs a microphone, kind of at the wheel of Roman Reigns, and just goes after Pierce. Roman tells him to do his thing. He says, you know, take up for yourself. Don't let him disrespect me. That's when Heyman says, 
I'll kick your ass for disrespecting the tribal chief. And then he challenges him to a freaking match. And Pierce confidently accepts, and Roman tells Pierce that by the end of the night, he's going to get his ass kicked. Paul Heyman versus Adam Pierce tonight? That's insanity. That's absolute insanity. I don't even know what's happening. And for some crazy reason, the big question in the back of my mind that popped up was, why am I concerned for Pierce? <laughs> Heyman's not going to beat him up. This ain't looking good. This screams set up as loud as it possibly can, but we'll get there as the discussion continues. Before we move on to our first match, Sammy has made his way to the Thunderdome and, in protest, has handcuffed himself to the barricade, <laughs> garnishing a sign that reads, Justice for Sammy. My whole thought process was, how wacky is this going to get and how many signs does he have with him? <laughs> uh, he ends up grabbing a microphone and starts to go on this rant about his loss to Apollo Crews last week, but he's interrupted by the entrance of the women's tag team champions who are making their way to the ring for our first match. Sami Zayn is an angel, and we don't deserve him. And I am so glad that he is in WWE and doing this character portrayal. It is absolutely phenomenal. It's so good. He had various signs throughout the night that read funny things. Uh, one of them was an acronym that he made Sami stand for. Uh, oh my gosh, I'm not going to be able to remember it. Stop all something, I can't remember what it was, but it was it was so good, and it was funny, and it was great. Very Michael Moore, but almost better to watch. <laughs> uh, with that being said, we move on to our first match, uh, which is Asuka and Charlotte versus the Riot Squad, with Billy Kay in the corner of her new punk rock friends, using the term loosely. Uh, Liv and Ruby take the upper hand in the beginning of this match, Surprisingly, with some positive assistance from Billy, they both bring it to Charlotte, making the Asuka tag feel very necessary. When she finally makes it in the ring, she cleans house. But at one point, Ruby gets the upper hand and goes for the pin. However, for some reason, Billy has the ref distracted, and the count does not even happen. And it was like a five count. They could have won this match if it was not for Billy Kay. Upon all of this chaos, Ruby ends up eating a big knee and then a natural selection from Charlotte, and the Riot Squad has lost due to Billy Kay's ditziness. I wonder why they've decided to do this with Billy Kay. I st it's been weeks at this point, and I still don't understand why you would break up a solid tag team like the Iconics just to take both of those competitors and throw them in shitty tag teams and shitty storylines revolving around finding a partner. It does not make sense to me. I'm just wondering if Billy Kay will ever prosper in a singles act. I'm not sure. I don't know. This was really weird. It was like a repeat of what happened last week, but on a bigger scale. Um, I don't know. Billy's got to do something or be, I guess... I don't want to say treated better, because it's not like they're treating her bad. I mean, she's been on television for the past month and a half. But, like, they need to find something for her. 
the reason I like the iconic so much was because they balance each other out really well. Billy Kay is phenomenal at talking, really, really good, just super charismatic and funny. Uh, Peyton is decent at talking, but very, very good in the ring. And they just kind of balance each other out really well, you know? And I just, I'll never understand it. I don't know, maybe someday we'll get the Iconics back. Until then, it's going to be mediocre at best. Um, next up, Daniel Bryan makes his way down to the ring, and he is hyping up the Royal Rumble. He goes on to talk about how he wants to achieve the one thing he has yet to do, which is win the Royal Rumble. But he is interrupted by a very pompous, very confident Cesaro. Cesaro goes on to dog Bryan, uh, for losing to him last week and declares that he is done with Daniel Bryan because he beat him and that he is going to be issuing an open challenge right then and there to anyone in the back to come out and face him. That challenge is answered by Dolph Ziggler, who wants to take on Cesaro because he believes that Cesaro is the only one that can go toe-to-toe with him. And with that, this matches up. Cesaro versus Dolph Ziggler with Daniel Bryan on commentary. The match itself kicks off very technical, with both men trying to break each other down. The tide changes with a big swing from Cesaro, which brings the match into a wave of a little bit of back and forth that was executed very nicely. Ziggler cannot put Cesaro away, however, as he finds himself being countered into a neutralizer and eating a big L. Cesaro looks awesome right now, and I am absolutely here for it. Is it finally happening? Happening. Is it finally happening? Are we finally seeing a solid Cesaro push that might end in something good? Or is it just a case of the Royal Rumble prep syndrome? That's basically where they're trying to build up certain superstars for the Royal Rumble to make us tune into the Royal Rumble. So what they do is they take these superstars that we've always wanted to see do big things or maybe, you know, we've gotten a taste of it and they kind of portray to us that they're, you know, they, they let them shine a little bit more just to kind of go into the Rumble and not do anything. I hope that's, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that Cesaro is going to win the Rumble, but this is the best that we've seen Cesaro look as a singles competitor for quite some time and he's doing incredible matches and I just really need it to stay this way for a minute. I just need to just, you know, slowly dip myself into this beautiful warm bathtub of like good Cesaro segments and just nestle there for a bit before they, you know, undo the drain and soak all the water out. Um, I don't know. I'm just, I'm super stoked about it. For him to get a big victory over Daniel Bryan last week, and then a big victory over Dolph Ziggler this week. Very, very good. Um, and they were clean. There was no shenanigans. So that's even better. Uh, we move on to Sasha Banks versus Carmella's sommelier, Reginald. Reginald starts this match off by giving Sasha a flower from his coat pocket. But he ends up eating a nasty slap in the face because of that. However, his smooth abilities come to display as he evades most of Sasha's offense with crazy gymnastic abilities. It was a sight to behold. This man, I wish I could remember his name, because this would go over so much better. But do you guys remember that character from Soul Calibur who broke dance? I guess that would be the past tense the, the past tense of break dance. Man, that was a really hard sentence to say. That do, He reminds me of that dude. 
Reginald is like the real life equivalent to that dude from Soul Calibur that that break dances when he fights. Insane. Just really fun to watch abilities. This goes for quite a bit uh, until the flips are not enough and Reginald finds himself tapping out to the bank statement. Sasha and Carmella kind of yell at one another uh, and honestly, I'm just really pumped for their match at the Royal Rumble. I think Carmella is doing fantastic things right now. She's really good in the ring. She proved that in their last match that they had. Sasha is, you know, doing a good job as champion, I suppose. I am not as into it as I thought that I would be, but I'm not surprised. I've made it very vocal on this podcast before how I feel about Sasha Banks. It's like a hit or a miss for me, and... I don't know. I just kind of want Carmella to be champion because she's doing so good right now. I'm also really impressed with uh, Reginald's in-ring abilities. Uh, I really hope that someday we see him do some fun stuff. Uh, maybe maybe on 205 Live or something. I don't know, but super duper fun to watch. Uh, we move on to another match, and it's Big E defending his intercontinental title against Apollo Crews. This match starts off very, very hot, super fiery with both men pulling out all the stops. They hit each other hard, and then right when the match reaches its climax, Sami Zayn uncuffs himself and runs into the ring, delivering a halluva kick to both competitors. This was Sami's plan all along. How great is that? Oh my gosh, dude, I'm eating it up. I just, you know, and maybe I'm biased because I'm a big Sami Zayn fan, you know, but like, this is fantastic, dude. He is like, one of the best heels in the business at the moment. And it's just, it's so good and annoying and just absolutely perfect. And he's doing such a good job. And I just, I don't know. I can't wait to see him get his championship back. I think it's going to be a glorious occasion. Uh, we move on. After multiple backstage shenanigans, we are on our uh, obstacle course grind. This is the obstacle challenge between Bianca Belair and Bailey. Uh, Bailey explains the rules and ends up going first. Basically, you have to start off by taking this huge 400-pound tire and flipping it. Then you have to run down the ramp and go down the right side of the ring, which has these little hurdles that you just step over. And then the back side of the ring has some, like, jumping walls. Like, one wall is this tall, the next wall is a little bit taller, and then the last wall is super tall and has, like, a climbing rope. And then on the left side of the ring, you have to carry Chad Gable from red line to red line. And then you have to make a basketball into a hoop. And when the, ba when the, when the basketball hits the net, bada-bing, bada-boom, your time is up. Bailey explains it. She goes first and just kind of like casually runs through this thing. Uh, she ends up doing it in a minute and 12 seconds. She childishly avoids the climbing walls, uh, you know, hits a pretty clean layup, to be honest. Uh, but before Bianca can go, and I knew this was going to happen, Bailey has some tricks up her sleeve. She changes the course up for Bianca. Basically, she replaces the little stipping hurdles with, like, full-size hurdles, like higher ones. Uh, Bianca kicks things off. She flips this tire with ease. It was actually really impressive watching her flip that tire. Like, right off the bat, I was like, damn, girl, go. <laughs> she flipped this tire ran down, hit all the hurdles, climbed all the walls with ease, and then she gets to Chad Gable. And Chad Gable goes, mm-mm-mm, I'm not the one that you're going to be lifting. And that's when we see Otis come into camera frame and just go, 
Oh, yeah. And then Bianca literally carries Otis on her shoulders for the entire length of the ring. It was insane. Otis is a hefty boy, and she carried him like he was nothing. And then she taunts Bailey with the basketball, crosses her out, and then dunks. It was phenomenal. It was so freaking good. Bailey thought that this was going to hinder her, but Bianca Belair just absolutely bodied it. She had like 20 seconds to spare when she was done. It was it was awesome. Um, I just, I don't know, man. It was really, really great seeing this because normally stuff like this doesn't do much for me, but it fits Bianca's character so well because she is good at everything. I mean, that's kind of what they convey. That's what they want us to believe, and she keeps doing things that, you know, back it up. Uh, this obviously, however, made Bailey very upset, and she ends up attacking Bianca, kind of throwing the basketball at her midsection and then throwing her into the basketball hoop. So, yeah, we're probably going to get Bianca versus Bailey at, like, a big pay-per-view event. I think it might happen. Actually, this is probably going to culminate in an Elimination Chamber match. I got. I cannot wait for the pay-per-view predictions for the Royal Rumble. I have so much that I need to say. <laughs> uh, we move on to some in-ring action. Uh, King Corbin versus Dominic Mysterio. Uh, Dom kind of uses his speed to bring it to Corbin for the first bit, but after a big clothesline from Corbin, uh, the King takes over. Uh, he ends up battering Dominic for a short little while and then confidently puts him away with the end of days. Dominic is great. I think he's got a big, bright future ahead of him as far as the WWE goes. I've made this very clear before on this podcast. But I'm just wondering what this means now for what they are going to do. Because I stated last week that I'm pretty sure Rey Mysterio is going to bring out Cain Velasquez to kind of battle Corbin for them uh, since they can't do it on their own. And I'm pretty sure this is going to happen in the Rumble. I didn't even think about this. But just imagine that Corbin's in the Rumble just giving Dominic and Rey Mysterio hell. Because let's say they're both in it. And then Cain Velasquez comes out and just kind of like eliminates him for them. That would be crazy. I kind of think that's where this is going. But we'll have to wait and see. Um, we move on to our main event of the evening. And it is Adam Pierce versus Paul Heyman. The moment that you have all been waiting for. Scrap Daddy versus Big Daddy, as Michael Cole <laughs> liked to refer to it as. Um, at this point, Roman Reigns has apparently left the arena. Earlier in the night, Paul Heyman was kind of over the shoulder of Roman, and he was talking about how glorious this plan was. He was like, oh, it was so good, how you made him believe that this is going to happen, and like I just fed right into it. And Roman's just like, Paul, what are you talking about? I didn't hire you because you're some, you know, bitch boy. I hired you to do your things and do your stuffs and fight for me. So fight like a man. So Paul Heyman, to our knowledge, has to go through with this match with Adam Pierce, And Roman has left the arena so that he can. We are also, <clears throat> we are also under the knowledge that Kevin Owens isn't even in the arena. Because they wouldn't let him in because, Ray Myster uh, because Roman Reigns pulled some strings. Kevin cut this really great promo in his car 
talking about why he fights and why he does what he does. And I really liked how it kind of introduced us to the two sides of fighting for family, in quotations. Because what Roman Reigns is doing is fighting for his family, trying to make sure that his family can eat. But he's doing it the wrong way. He's doing it with arrogance and bullying and narcissism. But then you have Kevin Owens, who is doing the same thing, but he's doing it with honor and respect and gratitude. And I really, really like that aspect. I also really liked that there was a possible chance that we were going to see Paul Heyman and Adam Pearce duke it out in a WWE ring. Now, it does not go that way. No surprise here. Heyman looks like he's ready. He walks to the ring taping up his fists. He looks like a hard ass with his suit on and his tapes, his fists taped up. But as he's going to get in the ring, he slips. And he kind of goes to get up the stairs again, slips even harder, and this time kind of falls on the ground. And that's when he says, card is subject to change. Flipping it on Adam Pierce. Roman's music hits, and it gets very, very real. Roman starts going to town on Adam Pierce. Adam Pierce got one punch in, and boy howdy, it was a glorious punch. It looked really good, but it was not nothing. <laughs> it wasn't anything for Roman Reigns. Uh, he ends up getting just battered up the ramp, and they end up where Kevin Owens ended up a few weeks ago on, like, the little ladder that leads you up to the second uh, level of monitors in the Thunderdome. And we can only assume that Roman Reigns is going to do to Pierce what he did to Kevin Owens a couple of weeks ago, throwing him off of it into a table. However, as he goes to do that, a hooded figure attacks Roman. Lo and behold, it's Kevin Owens. Kevin Owens kicks his ass all the way back down to the ring, feeds him a stunner, Ends up rolling outside the ring to take it to him some more. Officials come out. They're stopping it. At one point, we have Roman outside the ring. Kevin inside the ring. He dodges all the officials. Hits Roman with a second stunner. <laughs> Incredible. He ends up yelling at Paul Heyman, Are you watching? And as Paul Heyman looks on in just complete and utter awe, Kevin Owens pop-up power bombs Roman Reigns through the announce table. And the show goes off the air with Kevin Owens standing tall and talking smack. This is so good. I am so excited for this. I cannot express to you how good Roman's story has been, but also how important it has been for certain people. Roman has really given us what a lot of us have been asking for all along. People in the title scene that deserve to be in the title scene. People in the spotlight at the top of the card that deserve to be there. Look at the people that we've gotten in those slots because of Roman. Jey Uso, Adam Pierce, Kevin Owens. I wonder who's going to be next. This cannot do anything but get better. I am super duper excited. This was a very solid episode of SmackDown. I loved almost every single bit of it. Very, very like big kudos to WWE this week. Raw and SmackDown were awesome this week. Very, very good. This episode of SmackDown, on the beard scale, gets a beard that stuns every other beard and leaves. Oh yes, you heard the sound. The bell has rung, and you know what that means. That means we go straight into AEW 
Dynamite. Our show this evening kicks off with a birthday celebration for negative one Brody Lee Jr. He's riding high on the shoulders of 10, sporting his dad's coat. Ugh, my heart. And they light the candles on his cake. John Silver grabs a mic and cues the surrounding audience and everybody else in the arena to sing happy birthday. But at the end, they're all interrupted by the Chaos Project, Luther and Serpentico. Luther goes on to say that they hate kids and that Brody Jr. is a doofus <laughs> and that they're going to ruin his birthday. A brawl breaks out. TH2 hops in to get the upper hand. Hangman Adam Page comes out and evens the odds with a big splash from the stage. And with all of these antics, we are straight into our first match. The Chaos Project and TH2 versus Silver, Reynolds, and Colt of the Dark Order with Hangman Adam Page. Big eight-man tag team action. This match is full of energy with Dark Order using their impeccable teamwork to maintain the upper hand and neutralize the heels. This energy flows through to the end of the match as Colt Cabana drops Luther into the cake face first and <laughs> just we get some I, every single time I think about it I just chuckle Colt Cabana drops uh, Luther into the cake face first uh, we think that Luther's going to put him through the table and then Brody freaking Jr. just comes over there with a kendo shot and just brutalizes <laughs> Luther and this causes uh, you know just a little bit of turbulence and Silver, Reynolds, and Page hit a beautiful sequence on Pinnaco, and they put him down. After the match is over, Brody takes out Pinnaco with another mind-bending kendo shot, and then calls the rest of the Dark Order idiots because his birthday was three years ago. And then he hits Pinnaco with the papers, and oh my gosh, it was it was so it was so amazing. I just cannot get over how like. Brody Lee Jr., negative one, has kind of already become this character. And when he said, my birthday was three days ago, you idiots, I just, I instantaneously thought of Brody and just all of his crazy antics and like one-liners over on BTE. Uh, it made my heart very, very happy. Uh, but now it's time to get serious and see if Hangman Adam Page is going to join the Dark Order. John Silver hypes him up, calls him handsome, gets down on one knee as if he is proposing, and then asks him, are you going to join the Dark Order? And after a few moments of silence, Hangman Adam Page says that he can't. Confetti goes off. Banners fall from the roof that say he said yes. People start coming out with cowboy hats on. But it has to get shut down because Hangman said no. They were not prepared for him to decline. And his reasoning was because he says that he tried the group thing before and that it did not work out for him. And he apologizes to them and he shamefully leaves. I wonder where this is going to go because it could go anywhere. But I loved how mortified at the thought of joining another faction was for Hangman Adam Page. Because none of have, none have gone good for him. He's been stabbed in the back and felt like a loner. And he doesn't want to do that again. It's, it's so good. This could go so many places. It could go with Hangman going bad and turning on a face dark order and just being a dick to them. It could turn bad for Hangman Adam Page 
and all of the Dark Order kind of gets sinister and just beats him up for not joining. So many places it could go, and I'm just really, really excited for it. Um, on to an interview in the ring, Tony Schiavone introducing Sting and Darby Allen. Uh, after they get to the ring, Sting goes on to say that he sees himself in Darby and that he really, really likes that. And then he congratulates him on being TNT champion. Uh, before he can continue, he is interrupted by Team Taz on the Tron, where Taz calls them dirty and cheaters. He then says that they are from the streets and that they will go there if they have to. Sting approaches Darby and whispers something into his ear, and then the champ grabs a microphone and responds by saying that they need to be careful what they wish for because they just might get it. Pretty sure we're going to get a street fight. Pretty sure we're going to get Team Taz versus Darby and Sting in a street fight, and I really, really hope that goes over well because I would be absolutely here for it. A street fight is would be like a good thing for Sting to do. You know, just for us to see him in action a little bit, but like nothing too crazy, nothing too dangerous, nothing too risky, but like a little taste of like some Sting action. I would be very, very okay with it. Um, we move on to the Young Bucks finding themselves at Kenny Omega's house to have a little chit-chat with him, but he's not there. Instead, they discover a very disturbing painting of Kenny Omega and Don Callis that really made me uncomfortable, and Don Callis himself, who was there for some reason by himself. I don't know. Super weird. He instantaneously goes into ass-kissing mode, and then he makes everybody leave. He makes Marvez leave. He makes the cameraman leave, but he makes the cameraman leave his camera behind. And from here on out, we can only assume that he thinks the camera has been turned off, but it's not. He approaches the Bucks, and he basically tries to bribe them with money to just stay out of it and leave Kenny alone. And they respond to this <clears throat> in anger. Uh, they say that the checks will bounce because they know how impact works. Whew! Hot. <laughs> then they assumably attack him. Uh, my question is, if we get the Young Bucks versus Kenny Omega and someone else, who is that someone else going to be? I'm genuinely curious as to who it may be. I don't, I don't know if it would be one of the Good Brothers. Maybe they would bring somebody else in to kind of help Kenny. At least that's what I would like to see. Um, I really just don't want this to culminate in, I, th honestly, it's probably going to. This is probably going to culminate into the Young Bucks versus the Good Brothers, which I'd be okay with, but... I'd rather see like a surprise pop-up for Kenny's partner to face them. That would be super-duper cool. Anyways, back to the ring with pretty Peter Avalon taking on Cody Rhodes. Uh, the match kicks off. Cody lays Peter down almost instantly. But then Jade Cargill comes out and distracts Cody long enough to eat a very nasty low blow from Avalon, who instantly takes advantage and starts working on Cody. There's a slight botch from Peter in this match. And it causes Cody to take over, and he starts taking it to Peter. He ends up getting him in the figure four, and then Avalon kind of taps out out of fear of being slapped. He doesn't tap out because it hurts. He taps out because Cody's going to slap him in the face, and he's afraid to be slapped in the face. But there was a really awkward moment. There were two awkward moments in this match. And in my opinion, this was when the show started to go downhill, I guess you could say. Um... There was the moment where 
Cody was going to jump over Peter Avalon, and Peter didn't duck low enough, and he ended up running into Cody's knees. But then, after the slap segment, and he started tapping, he started no-selling the figure four leg lock. Um, it was really, really weird. There was a lot of potential, in all honesty, with this match, but it was kind of ruined by Avalon's, I don't know what to call it, his, his ring rust? It wasn't that... Maybe he was just nervous or something, but he did not seem to be ready for this match, and uh, it kind of left a nasty taste in my mouth. And from from here on out, it's not that the show gets terrible, but we'll, we'll get to it. Um, we'll, we'll definitely talk about it. Uh, next up, Moxley makes his way to the ring for his first match in a hot minute. Uh, we haven't seen him in a match since December and it's up against a man by the name of Nick Camarado, uh, someone who I've never seen before, but is an absolute unit. This man looks like Bruiser Brody and Rhino had a love child and never cut his hair. It's absolutely phenomenal. He brings it to Mox quite a bit, using his obvious strength and even fighting through some of Mox's best offense. Uh, it was a really, really good showing for Camarado. However, Mox ends up putting him away with a sleeper hold. Uh, afterwards, John grabs a mic and kind of goes on to talk about how crazy things are getting on, uh, how crazy things are getting in AEW. Uh, he tells Kenny that no matter who he brings around, whether they're from Impact or anywhere else, that they are just going to equivalize to more bodies for him to break. It's going to be absolutely bonkers when John Moxley gets his title back. I personally believe that Moxley is going to be the first two-time AEW champion in the company, 100%. And I personally believe that he's going to be the one to take it from Kenny Omega. I don't think it's going to be anybody else. I think it's going to be Moxley. Just saying, that's my prediction for the future. I don't know when it's going to happen, but when it does, come back to this very moment and talk to me. On to another match, and it's time for some six-man tag team action with Matt Seidel and Top Flight going up against Hardy Party. Now, the team of Seidel and Top Flight has me very, very pumped before this match even starts. I thought that it was going to be really, really fun seeing them duke it out with Private Party, but I was very disappointed in this match. This is what I was talking about a moment ago when I was talking about Peter Avalon and Cody Rhodes. There was a couple of spots in this match that were unnecessary and botchy. Um... Afterwards, things got a bit better, but they were so, like, bad that it just kind of, like, sucked the life out of me. Uh, basically, Top Flight, older brother, because I can't remember their names. I know their last name is Martin, but I can't remember. It's Dante and Darius, but I can't remember which one is which. Older brother kind of throws younger brother into the air, and he's what, what they're going to do is he's going to bounce his younger brother off the top ropes with his back. And then they're kind of kind of do like a monkey flip situation, and it's supposed to end in almost like a 450, I guess, onto uh, one of their opponents. And he ends up cutting it too far, and then he tries to go backwards. It was just really, really bad. Um, it was very noticeable. Kind of made me upset. Seemed unnecessary. But as I stated, th things kind of got a little bit better after this. The energy picks up a little bit. Um, there's action going on absolutely everywhere, uh, but it all comes to an end when a heel turn happens, and it's Private Party channeling their inner 
asshole Matt Hardy <laughs> and being bad guys. Cassidy hits uh, Lil Martin, we'll call him, with a chair in his midsection as he's going for a superplex, uh, superplex on Quinn. And then they just kind of smile at each other. Like, did you just do that? Yeah, I just did that. Let's get him. And then Quinn hits him with this beautiful shooting star press. And then the match is over. And afterwards, they beat him up. And that's a freaking heel turn. The heel turn kind of made up for the botch in the match. I'll say that because Private Party is now officially like, ooh, what are they going to do with this? Is it going to be good? Is it going to be bad? We'll just have to wait and see. Like As I stated, it was sloppy, but it had a really fun ending that I didn't really see coming, and I'm really glad that I did. Cannot wait to see how Private Party and Matt Hardy uh, mold together as like a heel faction. We'll just have to see where it goes. Um, we got another matchup. This time it is Layla Hirsch versus Penelope Ford. Uh, Kip and Miro have Chuck with them in his best butler tucks, all while Orange Cassidy is watching from a distance. Uh, this was a pretty solid match. Layla Hirsch, once again, looks like a future star. Uh, towards the end, she ends up taking out Kip and Chuck because earlier in the match they interfered, uh, but it's a mistake. And as she is getting back into the ring, uh, she ends up eating a big nasty axe kick from Penelope Ford, and then her legs get trapped by Kip and she can't kick out, and Penelope Ford gets the win. Uh, and then after the match is over, Miro forces Chuck E.T., to look at Orange Cassidy and tell him that Miro is his best friend now. I need more Layla Hirsch on my television on Wednesdays. She's absolutely phenomenal. Can't wait to see where she goes in the company. But also, I would like to see some more Chuck antics. This is really funny. Also, Chucky e. T looks real snazzy in a tux. It's a good look for him. He should rock it more often. <laughs> uh, in the back, Kenny Omega and the Good Brothers are beating up Penta. But why? So, why not go after the Bucks? Why go after Penta? Why not go after... I'm telling you guys, we're going to see this Kenny and Good Brothers... Kenny and the Good Brothers. Sounds like an old folk, folk band from the 70s. They are going to wreak havoc on AEW throughout the oncoming weeks. And I think at some point, we're going to see them attack Tony Khan... And I mean that wholeheartedly. I think it's going to be awesome. Uh, not because I want to see Tony Khan get attacked, but more so I want to see like a little bit of an, an, like an invasion angle done properly, you know? Something that's actually notable. Um, but I digress, and we move on to our main event of the evening. And boy, howdy. <laughs> there were some more botches. Now, I'm not going to say... Like, Besides these, you know what, I'll save that for the uh, the beard scale. The main event this evening is a triple threat match to determine who the Inner Circle's main tag team will be. Sammy Hager <laughs> versus Proud and Powerful versus MJF and Jericho. Uh, Y2MJF it doesn't really work. Regardless, the match kicks off with Jericho and Sammy duking it out, with Sammy really outdoing Jericho and showing off at the same exact time. And then it switches paces to Santana and Hager, but quickly leads to Proud and Powerful taking it to Jericho. After a bit of tag team tandem offense, Jericho finally gets the upper hand 
and is working on Sammy. Uh, the mood changes, though, as Hager is tagged in, who just kind of wrecks everybody in Clean's house, bringing him and Sammy uh, some control. After this, the energy picks up, and there's carnage everywhere. High spots, tandem maneuvers, Sammy looking insane. Sammy Guevara looked awesome in this match. He looked really good in this match. He was like the shining star of this match. Jericho, on the other hand, looked like a hot mess. I don't know what happened. At some point, he goes for the lion salt. And it's just... It was really sad. He, like, didn't set up for it properly. He landed on the top of his head. He missed the wrestler completely. I don't know what's going on. Um, I'm going to talk about that a little bit more at the end of this discussion. But at some point, Jericho grabs his bat and Hager catches him in the act and then just big boots the shit out of him. Like, it was a crazy big boot. He also goes up to MJF, who is about to use his AEW ring. I hate sneezing on on the fucking podcast. God bless. Woo! Anyways, MJF has his AEW ring, and he's about to use it. He also gets caught by Hager, and he ends up eating a big old knuckle sandwich. Uh, things are getting wild as every team is really trying their best to come out on top. And after Sammy goes on this vicious spree, MJF rolls him up out of nowhere, grabs the tights super deep, and earns the victory for him and Jericho. The show goes off the air almost abruptly, and that's all she wrote. Now, this was this would have been a really solid episode of Dynamite if it wasn't for all of the very noticeable mistakes. And they were paced so unfortunately that it just kind of ruined the show as an all. This was probably the sloppiest episode of Dynamite that I've seen to date. Um, it's a shame because it started off hot. Brody Lee Jr. celebrating his birthday, awesome. Him absolutely melting people with kendo stick shots, incredible. Hangman Adam Page telling the Dark Order no after a really good match. Fantastic. But these botches that happen with Peter Avalon, with Top Flight, with Jericho, really put a damper on the show for me. And I know that these people are just humans, you know, putting on a show. But, like, at the same time, it's like, maybe you should really start paying attention to who you bring up to television from time to time. Peter Avalon's great on BTE. Peter Avalon's decent on AEW Dark, but that doesn't mean he needs to be brought to television right yet, and I think he proved that by letting his nerves get the best of them. You know, top flight, they're really good in the ring. We know they are. They got the flippy shit down. It looks awesome, but sometimes things are a little bit unnecessary and should not be done. Sometimes I want to see somebody just take a standing moonsault. I ain't got to see some fucking setup for it that you would see in, you know, a gymnast's uh, performance at the Olympics. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and then Jericho, I think he might be at that point where he just doesn't have it anymore. And and here's the thing, man. Like, I've been wanting to talk about Jericho for a couple of weeks on this podcast. Um, and I hate to be this way and get this way, but it's my fucking podcast and I can talk about shit if I want to. Jericho's been doing some really, really distasteful things here lately. Um, there was a there was a few things that I just let pass under the rug. You know, like you have a podcast, 
you want to talk about shit, you kind of have this shtick that you go for sometimes. I get it. Uh, you know, throwing Donald Trump Jr. on the podcast, that's fine. It's your podcast. You can do what you want. But when you give certain people platforms and you almost convey that you think COVID is a hoax or there's some big conspiracy theory behind it, that's when you're treading in like unnecessary waters. You know, because you're not just a guy with a podcast and a band. You're a performer on a television network. And there's a lot of people who unfortunately keep up with what these people do in their spare time, in their real life. We all know that Chris Jericho has donated like $40,000 to Donald Trump for some fucking reason. But he shouldn't be doing those things. And we're not selfish for saying that he shouldn't. I'm sorry, but we're just fucking not. We are saying these things, and in my opinion, it's justified. Because he's the one who has put himself in a predicament where, in my opinion, it's okay for him to be judged if he does those things. Because it's Chris Jericho. Now... I know that I've gone beyond the wrestling here, and I'll, I'll do it for you right now. I'll separate it. Boom. Wrestler. Jericho. AEW. Maybe he doesn't have it anymore. Okay, and it's, it's really weird how Jericho has been good for so long, but maybe we're seeing a Jericho that needs to throw the boots up for a while and maybe just be a manager and a commentator. You know how The Undertaker shouldn't have fought Goldberg in Saudi Arabia? Well, maybe Chris Jericho needs to stop wrestling for a little while. And I'm not saying this because I'm mad at him for what he's done. I mean, I am, but I'm not saying it because of that. Like I said, I separated it. It's Jericho, the wrestler. I think he needs to chill a little bit before he gets himself hurt. He could have really hurt himself going for that lion salt. And I would have hated to have seen that. But then you have Chris, the guy who has a band and a podcast. And he just so happens to also be in AEW. That dude is really letting me down. With just how, like, shitty decisions he's making. You know, and, like, I could sit here and talk all day about conspiracy theories and fucking political issues and, like, how I feel about all of it. And, like, I don't need to. I feel like you totally understand where I'm coming from when I talk. And, honestly, I don't want to. Um, but I'm going to because I think it's important for Chris to acknowledge the fact that some shit you just don't need to be doing. Period. Um, I, I just think he needs to really, really pay attention to his spotlight. Because in my personal opinion, popular opinion is that that shit's not cool, and that's going to make your product look bad. And Tony Khan needs to step in and say, hey, I need that to be gone. And I need you to chill for a little bit. You know, the other day, The Undertaker was on an episode of the Joe Rogan Experience. And that episode actually got pulled and taken down. Because The Undertaker chose to talk about some very non-PR things involving <clears throat> the WWE. Steroid use and whatnot. And I get why he talked about it. And it was okay listening to him talk about it. But I understand why they would want that episode to be taken down. Because sometimes you don't need to be going on things and saying certain things. Or donating money to certain people because it's just a bad look. And that makes the company look bad. And hopefully, 
AEW doesn't suffer because of Chris Jericho's really weird random decisions. Um, rant over uh, AEW Dynamite over. Uh, this was a little sloppy episode, of course, as I've stated multiple times already. Uh, but I'll say this. The good parts were really good. Um, on the beard scale, this episode of Dynamite gets a beard that needs to see the dark cowboy get himself some friends. Make it happen. Hangman Adam Page, please join the Dark Order. With all that being said, ladies and gentlemen, this episode of Babblemania has come to an end. I would like to thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to me ramble about professional wrestling. Join me next week here on Babblemania as we run down another week of professional wrestling, but also prep for the Royal Rumble. Yes, next week's episode I will be hitting you with my Royal Rumble predictions. And then that evening, fingers crossed, I'll be doing a live reaction over on Twitch if anybody wants to join me along for that. But we'll save that for next week. Thanks for listening this week. This has been Babblemania. Follow me on Instagram at Babblemania. That's B-A-B-B-L-E-M-A-N-I-A. Please and thank you. Don't forget to follow me on Twitch if you want to watch me watch wrestling. Hang out in the chat. Twitch.tv slash Young Facial Hair. And of course... Check out my music on Spotify, Bobby, That Bearded Kid. Put a slash in the O if you have an iPhone. If you're on a computer, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> Rap game Bray Wyatt. This has been Babblemania. It's time for me to ride off into the sunset, and I thought this was going to be a good goodbye, but boy howdy, it isn't. Uh, smooches. Babylon. Babylon. Let's get to Babylon. It's all about some wrestling. Babylon. Hey. Babylon. Let's get to Babylon. It's all about some wrestling. <laughs>